Our good Father, we ask that your word given to us would be a lamp unto our feet, that it would be a light unto our path, that by it we would see your beloved Son, our Savior, Jesus, and that by your Spirit we might have life in him. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So whenever we hear the words, once upon a time, we all know what's coming next. And when you think about it, humans are the only species on this planet that tell stories. And we love a good story. A good story, when you think about it, it doesn't just uh, detail facts and put them together in a, in a string. But a good story is building up to something. A good story is going somewhere. It has a particular destination. And when we think about the Bible, it's easy for us to think about the words that we have before us as somewhat of a, a, a smattering of collection of religious teachings that have been put together over the years, and somehow Jesus is in the middle of it. But when you think about it, and if you read the Scriptures carefully, what you will see is that what we have in these words before us is actually an unfolding story of God's work in this world. The Bible captures from beginning to end this relentless pursuit of God after the people that He loves so deeply. But when we talk about the, the Bible as a story, what makes the Bible different than so many other stories is that it's true. It captures real history and what is happening in actual life. John Steinbeck, the author of East of Eden, Grapes of Wrath, of Mice and Men, he was a good storyteller. But behind all of the different stories that he wrote, he would talk about a greater story that existed behind all of them. In his own words, he says, I believe that there is one story in the world and only one. Humans are caught in their lives and their thoughts and their hungers and ambitions and their avarice and cruelty and their kindness and generosity too in a net of good and evil. There is no other story. In other words, all the stories that we tell are echoes of this greater story. And it's a story that we all find ourselves in. And so in this passage that we're looking at this morning, John, translating what he has heard from Jesus, is reminding this group of young Christians that he cared about, about their place in this story and what it looks like for them to live out their role in this bigger story. And what's true for them is also going to be true for us. And so what I want us to do is I want us to consider these two questions this morning as we think about this passage, which if, if you're paying attention during Steve reading it, it's, it's complicated. It's got a lot of interlocking pieces, but we're going to try to distill it down in a helpful way for all of us. First question, where are we in this story? Second question, what is the key to playing our role in this story well? So where are we in this story and what's the key for us to be able to play our role in this story well? So first, where are we in this story? I want to go back and start on this dusty road to Emmaus that takes place in the book of Acts. 
And it follows just a few days after Jesus himself was crucified. And some of his disciples are walking along this road away from Jerusalem toward the city called Emmaus. And what you hear in their talk is that they are devastated. They are heartbroken. They are confused. They are frustrated. They do not know how to make sense of their Christ or their Messiah being defeated and crucified. And so they're talking with one another about their hopes. Because like many Jews in that day, their hopes would that the Messiah would be this spiritual warrior king who would usher in a new age of flourishing for God's people that would even expand to all the nations. And so the, that vision and dream combined with the reality of this Messiah being crucified in the most shameful way possible and dying, they could not put it together. And they had heard whispers of him not staying dead, but rising, and they were just confused by it all. In their own words, they said, we'd hoped that he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. And at this point, a stranger comes up among them. We are told that it's Jesus. Their eyes are kept from seeing him, but they do not know who it is. And they share their woes, and Jesus tells them a story. He tells them actually the story. We read it this way, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them and all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. In other words, as they're walking along the road, Jesus begins to unfold the Bible from the beginning to where they are to show how it all was leading up to this epic point, how it was necessary that the Christ should be crucified and rise from the dead, that it's all part of an unfolding story that's building up that is going to have a very good ending. When we ask the question, where are we in this story? John says in verse 18, it's the last hour. He's not talking about the time of day. What he is saying is that we are in the final chapter of this unfolding story. There are hours that have gone before this. There There are prophecies. There are people. All of it has pointed forward in this unfolding work to Jesus. And John is clear with the death and resurrection of Jesus and the pouring out of His Spirit and the spreading of this good news. It's the last hour. It is the final chapter. Everything has been building up to this point in this epic story. And some back then thought that this last hour would be a very short one. Some back then thought this last hour would be a very long one. Either way, that is where we find ourselves in this unfolding story, in this last hour, in this last chapter. So what does that mean for us? When we listen to what John is saying here, there there is a sense of, of urgency that runs through this whole letter, but especially through this whole passage. You can tell the stakes are high and how we Respond to Jesus is of critical importance. What John is trying to say is there's there's nothing more important in your life than how you respond to Jesus and what He means to you and how that changes your life and the way that you live. As true with many final chapters and stories, there is a buildup to conflict. There are difficulties before the resolution happens. 
And Jesus, or John says this in verse 18. He says, children, it's the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know it's the last hour. I don't know how that word Antichrist hits you uh, in our kind of strange religious culture. Uh, it's a pretty loaded word. There are a lot of scary stories that have been told about Antichrists over the years, and so maybe you picture a group of people wearing a lot of black, worshiping Satan and encouraging others to do the same. But John in this passage gives actually a very a less dramatic um, description, one with a lot less flair. If you look at 23, he says, this is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. John's actually the only one who uses this word in all of Scripture. And I think it really ties into kind of his method of speaking in other ways. We've talked and we've seen this in past weeks of how John loves to use contrasts. Light and darkness. Truth and lies. Love and hate. And now Christ and Antichrist. It's not that John hates gray, but John is trying to help us to see that Uh, There is this dividing line that exists, that there is a way that leads to life and there is a way that leads to death. And he's using all these contrasts to show what's at stake in the choices before us. Namely this, what is your relation to Jesus? Put it maybe a little more strongly, are you for Jesus Or are you against Jesus? John wants to to push us to help us see that Jesus, He either is the Son of God or He's not. He either is the one that we have been waiting for that can rescue us or He's not. He's either sent from God or He's not. And we are either are with Him with all of our hearts or we're not. And this gets into some of the more difficult sayings of Jesus. Matthew 25, When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He'll sit on His glorious throne and before Him gathered all the nations. He'll separate people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And this extends even to the church. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do mighty works in your name? And then I'll declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. John's John's not trying to scare them nor is he trying to scare us. He's, he's actually encouraging them and assuring them. He said, you've, you've been anointed. You've, you've had the power of the Holy Spirit at work in your life. You have truth. You have knowledge. He's trying to encourage them to not give up. There's a group of people that have completely left the fellowship and are beginning to live and teach in ways that go directly against everything that Jesus taught and lived for. And he's looking at them and saying that this is the last hour and I want you to finish well. I want you to live well. Which brings us to this bigger question. What is the, how do we play our role and what is 
the key to playing our role well. And there's so much in Scripture that talks about how we are to live here and now. And so we're just going to be taking really a slice of this and the role we play. So for those of you who know my wife, you know that she has many gifts and many talents. But what many of you don't know is she actually has a history in acting. So when she was in elementary school, she tried out for a play. Uh, She didn't land any of the major roles, but she did land the role of a tree. Uh, This was not a talking tree. This was not a walking tree. This was a tree tree. (laughs) A tree with branches. And when it came to her big moment, she she was called to wave her hands with the wind. And the wind left, and then she went back to just being a tree. So that was the end of her acting career. I was thinking about this this morning. You know, Michael Jordan, you know, six national championships in a row. He called it quits when he was at the top of his game. I'd like to think Katie did that as well. <laughs> top of her, it's like, how do, you, how do you go up from there? It only goes down. When God brings us into his story, he, he gives us uh, not just these far meaningless background roles, but he gives us roles that have meaning, roles that have purpose. Uh, roles that have manifica- manifest- mani- ramifications. <laughs> Not only in this life, but also they go far beyond this life. The problem that John's addressing is that some of these people are abandoning their good role in this unfolding story. And he's trying to help them to own it, help them to live in it, help us to live in it. He does not want to see the people that he cares about walk away. And so if you you cut through all that he says here, there's actually only two statements of direction that John gives us of how we are to live. And here's the two things. He says there is, we're supposed to have something outside of us live inside of us and grow inside of us. And there's, and that we ourselves are to take root and grow in something else. So there's something that is meant to take root and grow in us, and we are meant to take root and grow in something else. Those are the two things. And he uses this word abide to try to communicate. Uh, Abide is not a word that we necessarily normally use, nor do the other Scripture writers use it either. John loves it. In this short letter, he uses it 20 times to try to explain what our relationship with Jesus looks like. He says, let what you have heard from the beginning abide in you. So here's what I want to live inside of you. Here's what I want to dwell inside of you, to take root and to grow. Let what you have heard from the beginning abide in you. What is it that they have heard from the beginning? Let's go back to what we heard earlier. Chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. What they have heard about is not just an idea, but a person. A person John has seen, heard, known, touched, listened to. What he has heard and seen is life itself breaking into our world. What they have seen and heard from the beginning is God inviting us into this fellowship, into this community, into this relationship. What they have heard and what we have heard from the beginning is grace 
forgiveness, Jesus being our advocate. In short, what they've heard from the beginning is the good news or what we call the gospel. And he's saying what I want and what you need in order to play your role in this last hour is for this good news to abide in you. For this good news to fill your minds. For this good news to fill your hearts. For this good news to fuel your life. There's a picture of this that we're given. It comes from Psalm 1 and it's a tree. And it's, it's not a tree that is in this desert all by itself. It's a tree that's planted right next to a stream of water that runs by. And the message is that God's people uh, are to be immersed in His Word. His Word is like a river of life that flows by us. And we are to be continually drenching our souls and deriving life and nourishment from these good words and this good message. If you go out in the desert, there's all sorts of different species of, of cacti. Uh, some can go even beyond a year without any rainfall. God has not designed us in that way. God has designed us with such a thirst and with such a need that we need an ongoing supply of this water, of this life, morning after morning, evening after evening, day after day. It's meant to be what we live in, what we sink our roots deeply into every day. That's why uh, we talk about gathering every week. That's why we have small groups. That's why we have res time and why we infuse our nursery with teaching. It's why we encourage daily reflection on these words that God has given to us. It's because we all have this tendency to forget good news. When you read through the Old Testament, it's amazing how many times God is telling His people to remember. To remember who He is and to remember what He's done because we have a tendency to forget it. And so when John is saying is let this good news live in you. Don't forget it. Let it take root. Encourage one another with it. Let what you have heard from the beginning abide in you. That's the first call. The second call is to have us abide in something else. Our whole being to find its place, its dwelling, its life in something else. Verse 27 and verse 28. Abide in Him. To understand what, what it looks like to abide in Him, we have to go back to Jesus' words that were read earlier in John 15. But, but before I share some of these words, I want to go to the very end of that passage that Steve read because I think it really, it really gives us a window into Jesus' heart when He talks about this picture of abiding and what it means for Him to be the vine and us be branches. What, what does He want in all of this? He says, I'm telling you these things so that my joy might be in you and that your joy might be full. So the reason why he's telling us all these things is because it is his heart, his desire for us to experience the joy that he offers us. This is the pathway to life. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. 
As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown out like a branch and withers. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. The picture Jesus gives is this healthy, thriving vine and a branch that is connected and bearing fruit. And he says, if you break off that branch and you leave it on the ground, you are cutting it off from its source of life. It will wither, it will die, it will not produce fruit. The relationship that I want with my people is one not of separation and not one in which of withering away, but one of connection, one of life, one of dependence, one in which my joy is flowing into them, one in which my forgiveness and mercy is flowing into them, one in which my strength and comfort and support is flowing into them. It's not that the branch is giving life to me, the vine. I, the vine, am giving life to the branch, and I love to do it. It's why I came. And it's going to produce fruit, good fruit that is going to be for the good of the world. And that's what the church is meant to be. A people that are for the good of the world, but we cannot be that if we are disconnected from the source of life. To abide in Jesus is to find our life in Him. But abiding is not just something that happens once. Abiding is a way of life. It's a way in which we are constantly looking to, listening to, trusting in, leaning on, leaning in to Jesus. But it's not just finding wisdom and power and strength from Him. Jesus says this in 15.9, and we heard it in our assurance of grace. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. In other words, what Jesus highlights of, of what we are to dwell in is to, and to live in and to derive life from is His very love for us. And in John's own words, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down His life for us. Sometimes after I see a good movie, I will go back and find clips of the parts that I really loved. You know, when you're watching the movie and you find those few sections that just like really moved you, really hit you. And I'll go back to those because I want to be stirred again. I want to re-experience what, what I just saw. Throughout John's letter, he, he's helping us to re-experience what happened on the cross. Saying in all sorts of different ways, this is how God loved you. This is how He manifests Himself to you. This is what He's done for you. This is who He is for you. Look at this. Look at this. Look at this. Look at this. Remember it. And live in it. This is not just some foreign story written for somebody else. This is your story. This was done for you. And you are invited into this. You have a place. You have a role. And the key to you playing out your role in this world is in this one word, abide. Abide. But if you're not able to see and to savor what 
God has done for you in Jesus, you will not be able to abide. Closing questions. When you think about your own life, is this good news taking root in your life? Is it finding new nooks and crannies? Is it taking over new territory? Is it expanding? Is it growing in strength? Are you experiencing an increasing comfort and rest and joy from this? Are you, if you think about going back to the stream imagery, if you think about God's grace as kind of a waterfall, it's always going, what are you doing to place yourself under that waterfall? Where, where are you making decisions to put yourself right in the path of that stream to experience, to have that good news abide in you? Second is your abiding in Jesus a way of life. Do you find yourself growing in the sense of, of dependence, of leaning on, of looking to Him? Do your does the way you pray reflect an increasing dependence or an increasing independence that says, I've got it all. God doesn't really help. I'm on my own. And are you growing in the sense of this is God's heart for you? I'm telling you these things so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Um, if I'm honest, my answer to those two questions are, are kind of, <laughs> meh, yes, no. And that's the mixture of the Christian life, of, of we are making progress, but also at the same time, we, we realize there is so much further to go. And once again, this is where we are reminded back of our hope, that our hope at the end of the day doesn't rest on us as branches, being able to do everything on our own and keep ourselves on our own, but our life is found in the vine that always keeps us and has us. Let what you have heard from the beginning abide in you and from Jesus abide in me. Let's pray. Our good Lord, help us to abide. We thank you for the gift that you give freely apart from our own works, our own goodness, our own obedience. You give generously, freely. Um, we need to hear this good news day after day. Would you soak us in this? And would we be a people who bear fruit, good fruit for the good of the world? And it's in your name we pray. Amen.